Hello, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am one of the hosts of this show. We are here with Aaron Mercer, the illustrious co-host, and Nathan Yoder, our fantastic producer. We exist to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. Today's question, you might not have asked in this way. You might have asked, why can't I just go to VR church or digital church or something like that? We have a really great guest today. His name's Jay Cranda. Um, and part of this episode is because we're turning 100 years old as a church and we wanted to respond to it. So Jay is going to be introducing himself. The question is, why will the next 100 years change the church? Aaron, what do you think? No, this is great. I'm I'm real excited to talk to Jay, first of all. Jay, thanks for being on on here. Um, Jay from Saddleback uh, Church. And uh, Peter, you always say illustrious to me and you know, have a great word for Nathan. So I just want to say you're pretty fantastic yourself. Peter, oh, thank right? you. Yeah, all right. So we got our we got our little compliments out of the way. Jay, I haven't met you yet, but I think you're awesome too. So, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm excited you. about this conversation. Uh, Browncroft Community Church is uh, this is our centennial year, which is uh, you know it's exciting for the church. Um, you know, it's a it's a fun time to reflect on where we've been and where we're where we're going. Um, uh, what is the what does the Lord have in mind for the church? And um, I think this conversation in particular is going to be really fun and interesting. Um, the digital transition we've had over the last couple of decades has been pretty amazing, and actually not just the last couple of decades. And you think about it, even those last couple of years, <laughs> it's been pretty impressive. So um, I'm excited to talk to talk to Jay. So hey, Jay, you know I know that you and Peter have talked before, but um, you and I have not, and. I'm sure many of our listeners have not, and so I'd love to just hear some of your your background. How how did you get to uh, Saddleback? Um, are you a California native? And uh, yeah, what's your story? Yeah, well, first off, congratulations to your church. That's crazy. You know, here in California, we don't have a lot of things that are a hundred years old. It feels like typically people haven't been living out here that much that long, <laughs> really. Outside of you, kind of go from not that long to like tens of thousands of years or something with Native American history. So it's kind of like this gap of history. I, I always experienced that, you know, if you grow up here in California, you know, you, you go to the missions all throughout the coast and uh, you know, you kind of see that. And then everything after that, it's like, it's so like we were at, I was actually with my family last night at Disneyland and uh, there, there's a famous story of there's the oldest thing in Disneyland and at Anaheim is a petrified rock. And it's something that, um, somebody gave it to Walt and they actually had it at their house and his wife didn't want it. And so they, they put it into Frontierland, and it's the oldest thing in Disneyland, but you see a petrified rock and you can't really relate to it because it's so old. And so, um, so, but I love that it's, uh, so this is my little bit of Disney history on the pod today. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I love that. I love that you, you guys are celebrating this as a church. Um, that's such a cool accomplishment. Um, yeah, as a, you know, for me, I, born and raised in Southern California, you know, both sides of my family kind of came out to Cal. My grandparents on both sides came out one from all kind of the Midwest, like Iowa and Minnesota, you know, in the sixties to California, which a lot of people came out around that time. And, um, so I've been raised here in, um, Southern California kind of haven't really moved outside of like a 40 mile radius in where I'm at. I'm now in orange County. I was in the greater Los Angeles County, um, early on. And, um, did kind of want to be a high school pastor early on in my life, um, because that's when God kind of transferred my life. That's when I accepted Jesus and was at a smaller church of church about 500. And then, um, had an opportunity to intern my last year of college at Saddleback church. And, um, through that time, I got an opportunity to work on our communications team. And I actually got said no to a couple youth jobs both at Saddleback and a couple other places because I had no experience coming out of college. And uh, it led me to an opportunity to work on the comms team and learn a lot about marketing and communication. And in that course of time, they had an online, they actually called it the internet campus at the time. So this was about 12, 13 years ago. And I really grew to um, love the, the reach. As somebody who had only known a church prior of a church about 500. I just remember I was blown away that they had hundreds of people watching every week online and nobody was doing anything with it. And just as somebody who kind of knew how hard it was to get people to come to church, I just couldn't believe this. And I had had an experience in college 
where I, the first computer I owned was like this Toshiba thing. And um, I just remember I would watch on a midweek program. I think it was North Point did like a midweek stream. I think it was 720 or something. I forget what it was named. But uh, Louis Gigolo would like do this thing. And I would watch this live stream. And I remember that was the first time I could like attend a church from afar. And I was like, this is kind of crazy that I can engage in this midweek program through this live stream. And uh, that just started to unlock all this stuff. I didn't know what it meant, but I started to just, my church gave me time to invest in our internet campus. And I just grew to love it. I loved the reach. And I was able to talk with people all around the country and all around the world. I wasn't somebody that had traveled a lot at that time. And I just remember talking to people from New York, from the Philippines, from Hong Kong. And um, I remember early on, one of the things that really got me excited was I got this email from, and again, this was like 12 years ago, 11 years ago or so. Um, I got this email from this group of people in Hong Kong that were college students gathering together to watch our services every week. And I was like, I couldn't even grab, you know, I probably, I, I didn't really know where Hong Kong was. I didn't know what that meant, but I was just, they sent me a photo and it was just so cool to think about that we had these people somehow engaging with us and felt connected to our church. And we're literally on another side of an ocean. And I remember a really cool thing that happened. I started to unlock a lot of other possibilities because a lot of this digital stuff is kind of like a multiverse. Like you kind of can go in a lot of different directions and you're like, I could go here, I could go there. And um, when we launched about four or five years later, we launched a Hong Kong campus and they actually, I heard they got connected to that campus and to think that they started with us online and then years later they now attend a physical campus in hong kong it's just really cool and i think we're going to see a lot more of that we are seeing a lot of that but um yeah so that's kind of my journey did went to biola and talbot a local seminary here in um in kind of the, the los angeles area got three kids been married for i don't know 13 14 years um but yeah you know, what I love about that is it just sparked, um, <clears throat> I'm going to take a gander that we're, I, th I think, the same age. And I think people ask mm. me this, they're like, why are you into digital so much? And I go, I feel like I was just born in the right year. And <clears throat> so you talked about 10 to 12 years ago. I went to college in 2005 and graduated in 2008. And we started live streaming our chapel five days a week and little did i know at the time like you just i don't think anybody seeks to be innovative you just do what's in front of you but i mean did you 11 or 12 years ago realize how much this was going to change the church or did you think with digital you know i mean what were your expectations like did you think we'd be here now or you know, did you ever feel like, is this like the Gutenberg with Bible? I mean, I just yeah. be curious <laughs> as you think about Jade 11 to 12 years ago and how quickly things have changed, you know, where are you at? What do you think you would have thought if you knew where we were are now? Uh, I would probably say, no, I didn't really understand how it was going to change for sure. Um, I'm, I'm a very, I'm definitely an early adopter with technology, mm. but I'm very pragmatic with it and i'm not like for example like virtual reality i think i get why virtual reality is going to change us but i don't use it daily so i'm not really investing a lot into it i'm i'm like philosophically like processing it and i i have my fingers in it and i'm i'm i'm, I'm aware of it you know but it's a side project because i i'm very much aware that there are problems and people hurting in the spaces that i know are actually thriving and and people are meeting as much as I understand how we're shifting in virtuality will be an experience that will be, I pro probably believe in the next, you know, five, six years will be very important, but I'm not motivated about where they're going. I'm motivated where people are right now. And so I think I have this, I focus 95% of my time on the spaces where people are and then like five, 10%, I'm kind of aware of kind of, okay, this is where we're going. So I need to be, you know, 
um, I, I need to be aware of it. And, and so, and we have limited time. So I definitely didn't understand it. Like I, my youth pastor had to force me to get a, a, a Facebook account in college. I remember he was like, you need one. And I was like, do I? Like, I don't understand why I would need that. And he literally created the account for me. Like he sat down and he did that. And, you know, it's so funny to think about that years later. It's the same thing when I was watching that stream of that ministry in college, which was around 2006, 2007. I just remember going like, this is really cool, but not thinking it's going to change churches and how they can minister and do things. Um, and so it, it's, I get it now more because I've obviously, you know, I've been steeping in it for about 10 plus years. And so I see it and I've seen how churches, you know, the, the story that I, I always reflect on was I had a good friend that very respected leader within Saddleback who I really respect his, how he thinks and leads. And, um, he told me he was about 10 years older than me. He said, Hey Jay, I, I would, I would really consider not taking this online pastor job because I don't think the role will exist in a year. Wow. Wow. So if you take it, it might not be a good career decision for you was his thought. And, um, and that was, that was hard to process because he, he was, um, he, he is, he is one of our premier leaders. And I, I was just like, that's crazy to think about. And I just was so excited about it that even if it got killed in a year, I needed to say yes. It wasn't like I was brilliant in my decision. It was just like, no, this is just way more fun than doing any of the other stuff that I can see that <laughs> I would have to do. And, and so it's just to see that shift. And then obviously the last two years has been as an online pastor has been very exciting, but there's been many years where it was like, is this really going to work? Our church is really going to embrace this. Um, and it just happens to be the last two years has been very exciting, but it hasn't been that. I mean, I've been excited, but I will say there's been a lot of bumpy roads uh, through it, just trying to navigate because I think uh, we as leaders, especially Christian leaders tend to be like, we're all in or all out. And I think a lot of people see the fears of, um, of online and which I get, I think there's some legitimate things and, you know, you got to process and lean into, but, um, but yeah. Can well, I, actually, I, yeah. I, I just want to jump Go in. I'm sorry. So you mentioned the last two years, I think that's helpful for our listeners, for you to kind of give a context. Um, you wouldn't call yourself this. I'll call you this. I feel like you're an expert in, you know, digital <laughs> church. And so, you know, as we think about how the next hundred years will change the church and we have a lot of skeptics, de-churched, unchurched, tell us what happened just from your personal vantage point at Saddleback as an online pastor in the last two years that you kind of feel like really turned the tide or just kind of like digital church isn't to that leader that said, Hey, you know, I don't think you should do this. Like what, give us a vantage point from your perspective of the last two years. Yeah. I think we tend to, as humans generally, I feel don't adopt something until we have to. Mm. And I think, um, what the last two years did was it forced people to have to lean into some of this digital technology. And and I, I just like, for example, I can think of multiple teams and churches and spaces where they like, I, I remember having this conversation years ago with somebody on our pastoral care team and going, hey, you know, I, I think we should really explore Zoom um, counseling. And the thought was, it's like, well, that's not really healthy, you know, from this leader. And that's not good. And, and I'm I'm exaggerating their what they were saying, but they just they just didn't they didn't need to think about it because in person was working and they had enough people going through it. And I just was like, I started to see and hear ads like on podcasts where like a lot of these crisis teen lines were doing text counseling and they were doing all this creative stuff that I'm not saying text counseling is the same as sitting in a room across, you know, a, you know, a couch somebody is the same thing, but they're meeting a need. And, and what happened was when we all went on zoom essentially, and as somebody who had been, you had been a paid zoom user for like three years prior to COVID, I knew the power of zoom. I had logged hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours on zoom before COVID. 
And I knew that it worked very well. But what happens when everybody is forced to do it, they kind of see how, oh, this is doable. But it tends to be those forced adoptions. You know, like they say this about, um, you know, one of the untold stories of the reason why people have computers at home is be- it wasn't because the market demanded it, like the the uh, the commercial market demanded it. It was because uh, CTOs for workplace for for works uh, like com- for companies would buy you a personal computer, and all these CTOs justified the market, and so you would get a work computer for work so you could work anywhere and then you had this device at home you go this would be be pretty nice for home too like i want it for a personal computer so people would a a workplace would buy you a personal computer and then that justified through the 90s for people to buy their own computer and Mm -hmm. so it's usually somebody else has to force you to use the device so they say the same trajectory is probably going to be with virtual reality where People will have their own virtuality devices. I, I have my own. I have a Quest too, so I, I have that. But ultimately, what's going to happen is when like Microsoft Teams has a virtual reality uh, like workplace through Teams, your work is going to buy you a VR device to work, and then you will go. I want one of these. I want one of these for fun, and then that will seed the whole market. And so I think sometimes some other factor has to force us to see why it's important. And COVID forced us to see wow, even though digital and all this stuff isn't the same as in person, it's pretty close. And uh, I I like to use the example with my marriage. Like I use digital um, in my marriage to enhance our relationship and not to replace the physical, but we get to text and interact, you know, if I'm traveling or even if I'm, you know, like this morning, my my wife was um, at the gym and she had this goal that she met and I was on a Zoom call. I would and I was meaning and she called me and I couldn't answer. So I text her, say, hey, I'm on a call and we're able to like, I'm like, oh, congratulations that you met your goal. We're able to interact, but not be in the same room. Mm. And that's a win. But I think what happens is we tend to think either or. And I think a lot of people pre COVID, their world wasn't disrupted. They, they could meet people, they could go to church. And now when they got disrupted, they realized the potential of this. And I think sometimes we're forced to do that unfortunately and and the same thing with me i you know it's not i don't really get something until i I go down the rabbit hole um and i I think most people went down that rabbit hole and they learned some things and you know wins and 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 cons but i think it's that moment that people saw the potential Mm. so i i want to this has been really interesting and i want to i want to actually ask you more about your your online um community that you you have and uh, you pastor because I think that's fascinating. But since since uh, Peter brought up the the pandemic in the last couple of years, I let me just follow that a little bit. You said you said you know you got you got to u- used to it by jumping down the rabbit hole. You know, um, I guess I started thinking about the Matrix and the red pill and the blue pill and all that stuff. But so do you, but do you think? So my question is, do you think that um, as things open up again, <clears throat> hopefully on a sustainable basis here? I mean, do you think there's going to be a backlash? Are there going to be people who think, man, I wish I took the blue pill instead of the red one or which, whichever, whichever one it yeah. was that they had? Like, is there going to be a is there going to be a pushback? Um, what do you think? I, I'm sure the technology is never going to go away. But what do you think it's going to be used in the same uh, the same way it is right now? Yeah, I think that there are like. You know, the, you know, obviously the extremes of this, you know, if you, if you talk about this like in a political sense, you know, like you have the Republicans that generally here in the U.S. think nothing needs to change. And then the Democrats who think everything needs to change. And I think most people live in the middle um, is the reality. And I think with this, you have some people who don't want to change and they want to go back. Um, and they've had tastes of technology, but I think it more reminded them of what they're missing. Um, and then there's some people who are so on the fringes that just think everything's going to be virtual reality and we're going to, you know, just live in our house and we're not really going to leave. And I, I, I think I think those people exist and those things will happen over the next hundred years. But I think the reality is, is that I think majority of people have realized that there's a, a balance of this. You know, I like to think of it as like body and spirit of how God has designed us, that we're a little bit of both. And, um, and it's, and I, and I think 
there are people in churches that are going back hard. And I know people have pulled back on their online in a big way. But I think most people are realizing like, hey, for example, in a practical way, if I was talking to church leaders, um, they realize that, you know, over the next couple of years, just there's a group of people that aren't going to come back to in person because um, I'm going to make the argument they were probably not really part of your church. They were just sitting in the back row. And but now the back row isn't your building. The back row is some of your streaming and digital experiences. And so I think they're realizing that it's a, it's going to be more common for people to first try your church, not by walking into your building, but it's to check out a YouTube stream or maybe sign up for a Zoom thing. And and so I think there's a backlash for sure that exists. And, and, and that's just kind of, I think, culturally things that happen, you know, in waves. Um, but... Um, because I, I, I do think that there's some things that don't work online right now. And, and I, and I think there are some things that will never work fully online, but, um, I also, I tend to see the gains and not the, the negative personally. So I like to remind people like, let's focus on ground that we've gained and not focus on the ground that we lost, mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of years. And it, it should be a reminder of hey, some of this doesn't work yet and the technology doesn't um, exist. Um, and, and, and ultimately our Christian life is both a, a spatial existence and a non-spatial type of existence. And so I, I think there's something about, there, there's a reason why I sleep in the same, under the same roof with my wife and I do life with my family. Like there, there's something there that's really important. Now mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I can't, do life beyond but i think that rooted experience is always gonna so for example like i think people i was just talking i, I had a couple um i've had this happen a couple times over the last couple of years but i had a couple that was part of my ministry one lived in um actually oregon the other lived in the philippines and they met through an online group mm -hmm. and they started dating from a far distance and they actually this past month they got married and they one moved is they're moving to the u.s and they're so the idea is that they they started a relationship digitally and they fostered it digitally but ultimately the end goal was for them to be physically connected near each other and i think that experience isn't going anywhere i know that we'll be able to replicate some of those things and people will do that people will marry avatars and they will do that stuff that will exist those wow. those crazy stories will happen but i don't think that that's a healthy expression of digital i, I do believe that ultimately in a hundred years from now the goal is for me and my wife to do life physically together and not to be physically separate even though you might be able to fully replicate it i think there's something about that experience that will always be the prime um healthiest experience um but here's the deal the crazy stories on the fringe are the ones everybody loves talking about because it does challenge us it puts the argument right. to the table of like what do you actually believe here you know and so it's it's never a same it's usually not the same logical stories it, this is why in politics it's never the same person that gets elected it always has to be the extremist because here's the, if I was the president and you would ask me a lot of these things that happen I, every day, um, like I, I feel like, like not to be political here, but like, like half the time, the CDC, I wish they would have just said, we're not sure yet, but this is what I think is the best approach. <laughs> that's not, that's not what a sane person can do in, with power. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that a lot of this stuff, it's like, should somebody VR baptism, you know, do a VR baptism? I would say probably not, but I also see why like DJ Soto with Virtual Reality Church does it because he's an evangelist and he's working in a new paradigm and a new existence. It's, it's a whole nother. He's not reaching the average churchgoer. So he's doing things that's very different. Now, I wouldn't do it, but he's a modern day missionary to me. And he's doing he, he, he might as well be out in a jungle doing peace child. And it's a whole nother thing. Um, and so I think we look at that and go, oh, that's we look, it's going to scare us the same way as U.S. looks at Europe and gets scared. Um, so I'm, and I'm, so I think there are things I'm, and challenges there to process. But, yeah. So I'm really curious, just jumping off of that. Um, you 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 mentioned, um, you know, a, a modern day missionary or, or so there's a con there's a certain context you're going into there. I, I'm really curious in, in the, you know, the many years you've been doing this now, have you found that there is. Um, so you're dealing with people you mentioned from around the world. So there's all sorts of different contexts there. People are logging in or, or 
they're watching, they're streaming, they're entering whatever um, group you have. It's on Facebook or a or or whatever it is, some platform. Uh, they're coming from all these different contexts. I'm curious how you interact with them in that, you know, as they come from different contexts, even within your own city. I'm sure uh, in the in the uh, in LA and Orange County, there's a lot of different contexts. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, I'm curious: are there are there uh, unique elements or, or, or are there unique ways of interacting with people in the online community versus in person? Like, is there some sort mm. of uh, uniqueness there that, that they have that, and there may be people that are interacting all the time in an online community have their own language, even if they're from Hong Kong versus New York, like uh, versus Los Angeles, is there something unique to that? I'm, I'm just really curious about how your community, how you've seen your community gel um, over the years you've been doing this. And why don't you throw yeah. in like how many groups and how many people you work with? Because I think that that's a huge context also to Aaron's question. Yeah. Too. And if people think that if you're a real person versus like a Max Hedstrom type person. Or something <laughs> <like that. laughs> yeah, I like that. The uh, Yeah, for sure. I, I think one big thing that I notice about our community just generally is and, and it's you know, we have tens of thousands of people watching and across our website, YouTube, a bunch of different things. Um, what's hard with numbers is there's all such a ways to measure it. And, um, but I really get excited about, so like, for example, we have a Facebook group with over 9,000 people in it. And those are people that are part of our community. And I see that as like our digital patio, like back room where people interact throughout the week. And then we have about at this moment, a little over 1400 small groups that are associated with the online community. Some of those are virtual mm -hmm. that meet on Zoom, some of them meet in person. And so, um, you know, I, I would practically say that we have like a community of about 10,000 people that interact with us. You know, we have more that watch every week, but when I think about our actual, like, if you want to think of it as a location or a campus, I think of 10,000 people because those are the people in groups engaging. Um, but the, the main thing is, that's really interesting that's very different as a typical pastor is I think it's just the 24-7 accessibility of people. You know, practically most churches are really only open a couple hours a week. You know, they have a building, they have a presence, and it's always there and you see it. You might have a steeple and um, it's visible, but there's something about people just interacting and asking and, and just constantly and then if you mix in time zones there it's it can feel overwhelming They're like it's just you know i get asked questions and give feedback from email to facebook messengers to instagram to whatsapp um to text to calls all sorts of places and all sorts of time zones and it's 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 kind of crazy it reminds you you know, you learn things. You're just like, oh, like I was interacting with a couple of people in Pakistan a couple of weeks ago, and I learned like Pacific Standard Time is the same as Pakistan Standard Time. So if I'm consuming, if I'm trying to set up a time zone, that's confusing because they're actually 13 hours ahead of us right now. Um, and most times in time changes, they're actually 12. But you learn these things, and it's like it's just weird, and uh, it's also cool because it reminds you how small your time zone is really in the scale of things. Um, so I think that there is this, you know, it's, it's the classic overstatement. It, it, it is a global type of community. Um, you're also reminded like this Ukraine thing that's going on in, in, in the Russia stuff. Like we have six people, part of our community that live in the Ukraine. And what does that mean? And I'm constantly mm -hmm. having to run reports and I'm all, I'm usually terrible at this when there's some kind of issue in a country or in a, in a region of the world, I'm usually like late. I'm like, Oh man, we, I need to check if I have any people that live there. Like there's like a tsunami in the Indonesia. I go, I probably need to find out cause I probably have, or there's the power goes out and, or there's a storm in Texas. I, I just forget that there's always something going on in the world. Mm. And it, you know, it might be, you know, Yesterday in, in California was 80 degrees and it was beautiful, but that doesn't mean it was that way. You know, uh, you know, it's, I was on a Zoom call yesterday with somebody in the in uh, St. Louis, you know, and it was like 35 degrees. And, you know, I, you just forget those things. So I think the global citizen thing is very um, global citizen and also just like accessibility. And um, it's just 
so crazy. Now, what's hard is you also get a lot of people that are not digital natives trying to come on board and they don't always understand stuff. And I'm always impressed where there is a whole generation, you know, boomer, uh, baby boomers and above that are trying to catch up and trying to survive in this space. I think it's like, like you said, I think if you were, if you're a millennial, um, uh, specifically an old millennial, which is what I am, what my wife and I are like, uh, there, there's a famous, uh, not famous. I'm, I'm exaggerating that. Uh, there's an article that the, that the, uh, that the ringer did years ago that was about, uh, you know, the difference between millennials, you have an old millennial like Drake and a young millennial like Chance the Rapper and how different their music styles are. And, and, and I think that's true. And if you're an older millennial, you tend to bridge the generation and you're aware of like, I'm aware of the world without internet. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I remember when my dad had a computer and I could use the internet. I remember, you know, I was in high school or something when, you know, AOL came out and if my grandma was talking, I couldn't use the internet. Like I'm aware of the disconnection and that disconnection, I think gives, you know, people that are, you know, in their thirties, a lot of, um, a lot of ability to relate to that older generation. And I'm also reminded that it's also the baby boomer generation that really created the internet. Now they didn't have to live on the internet where I've, I actually have, or I've gone through a transition over the last 10 years of living on the internet in a whole nother way. Um, I work, mm. I work for a church and I don't even have an office at my church. I work primarily from home, you know? And it's like, that shift is very hard. A lot of people, I, when people went work, you know, working from home, I was already there. I have a, I have a team of four. We meet for coffee once a week. We work remote the rest of the time. You know what I mean? And that's a whole nother. That's that's going to become. That's already normal, and it will become more normal. But so, um, but yeah. So I, I think it's it's. I think the global citizen and the access is is one of the big things um, because as you talk to different people and have different experiences and get asked different things, uh, it's it's really um, it's exciting. I love it. I also will say. I think if you're at a certain age, and I don't think it's really an age, I think it's a personality type. I think most of us are leaning into the fog that we're not sure what this really will look like in 100 years or, you know, 100 years is, you know, I'll be dead. But like, I even think in the next 10 years, like, I don't know what that's going to look like. But I get excited about that. And I think most young, I think people, I think that there is a sense if you're if you're in your like 35 or younger, generally, it kind of like with privacy, I think there is a generation that is older that kind of goes i want to hold all my information and i'm not really going to put a lot of this online because i'm afraid it's going to get hacked where like Aaron, most people Aaron. <laughs> I'm, I'm the old guy here yeah he's faking which is me. which is fair but i will say i'm just like my social security number is already on the dark web like i've i've been hacked i've my world hasn't crumbled like i'm not as worried about it and uh so i i think I think that shows like there's this optimism of like, I get there's this like accessibility, but I'm also very excited about the future. I kind of rambled there. So, but yeah. Well, no, I think that that's good. Let, why don't we jump into this? Cause you're right. We can't guess what the next 10 years looks like, but you know, I think for our listeners, those that are de-churched and unchurched, and we're specifically focusing on kind of these digital and technological changes. As you look at the next a hundred years, what will change and what won't change. Um, and again, there's a Bible verse. Jesus is the same yesterday, today. So we're going to take Jesus off the table. He's not changing. Um, the Bible, you know, we're going to take that off the table. That's not changing. Um, there's no third Peter out there. Um, I'd get fired for that. So, but as you mm -hmm. kind of just forecast and what you're even seeing right now, you know, what are the things that maybe we're going to be more rooted in? What are the things that are probably going to transform? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we're going to have a lot of most people in 100 years, if not everybody, will have deep, meaningful connections with people who live all around the world. Mm. And you will feel just as close to them as if they live down the street. Like I live next to my closest friends. Like they literally live a house like our house next to us and they have kids like we do life together. Like we Literally, I, I wake up like I when my friend leaves for work, I hear his Tesla every morning because I'm working in a sp I live right next next door to him. That experience, I think, will be normal, but will be decentralized. I think in a hundred years, 
I'll be able, like, I have a brother that lives in the St. Louis area and we connect for sure. Like we text and we interact, but I think it will just be normal. We're like, I'll be able to like be in a VR or some kind of augmented reality experience. And it will be like, he's not far away from me. Mm. Like, I just think the relationships will be, that will be normative though. People can live anywhere in any time zone. And I don't think the relationship will feel that much different for our casual friend group. I do think though, what's not going away is the, um, is the marriage type of deep connect, like that type of relationship will always be rooted in physical. I don't think that that will, even though you might be able to replicate some of those feelings and experiences digitally over the next hundred years, and people will do that and will challenge that and they will offer that. I just think we will always be under the same roof. I think those are, but I'm excited for, like I've done VR meetings and it's pretty compelling, even though it's a little cartoonish right now. It's crazy. I've sat around the table with four other people and we did a meeting and it felt like we were hanging out and it was better than a zoom. So I think that will be, um, that that's going to be the biggest challenge for people. Cause you will, and you see this in, in already happening with like gaming, you know, I've seen this, I missed that wave. You know, I remember when I played like Xbox online and I also remember LAN parties before and I never really had friends where we game together online. I, I more gamed by myself, but I see it with my kids, how they they get on a phone call or they game in community. And I think you see that like they feel close to each other. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for a lot of people because you're going to be able to like, like you and I, we could literally work together in the same space virtually and hang out every day and we will feel super close but that will just be normal for everything i think that will actually and it will challenge people so i think that's that's going to be the i'm going to have real friends even though like i have real friends i I have friends all around the world that i feel close with but i will say i'm more of a digital you know adopter but even there's still gaps like there is something about having someone near us but i think a lot of the technology will make that so different and i think our grandparents will just be able to hang out with people in a way um that will be different but i don't think the the marriage type of connections are going to go away i think those are kind of the two things that leap off the page to me because of virtual reality and augmented reality stuff what what about the church because it sounds like what you're saying too in the next hundred years just society there there's actually this huge local focus but then there's a global focus Mm -hmm. how do you see that all working together yeah it's it's going to be interesting because i I think you're going to have this like fundamentalist and kind of liberal movements that will happen within the church where some will fully embrace the the technology and the decentralized stuff you know and obviously you kind of look at what's happening in like the monetary stuff with crypto and stuff and DeFi and all this stuff like you see it where like hey we're not going to have internet hosted on in one place or in a couple of regions it's actually going to be hosted decentralized on all your devices across the world and that's what DeFi or you know decentralized stuff is like what 3.0 is and i think the thought is churches i think we will have a lot of people planting churches that aren't really hosted in one place but they're really hosted in multiple places and i think it's going to take i was talking with a guy yesterday who lives in the new jersey area that he's a fairly younger leader and he doesn't have this huge movement, but he's thinking about this. And I think you're going to have people, I I think it's going to become very normal for people to have church networks that are hundreds and thousands of locations and they don't have a mothership. They're literally everywhere Mm. um, because they can connect in a way and do this. But you're also going to have churches that are primarily, you know what? We just reached the New York area. And we have one big building and we do this well. And I thought, I think you're going to see both, but I think you're going to see global churches in a way. And it really, this isn't new, but I think what's new about it is the way all those locations can stay connected to each other. And a lot of the technologies can allow you to, um, you know, like we've seen this, the decentralized church has thrived in places where there's been a lot of, you know, suppression, like in China and Iran and a lot of these places, but in, and or Saudi Arabia, 
but that experience is going to be able to have, they're going to be able to have that experience, the individual kind of house church type of experience, but they're also going to be able to have the global connective experience for worship services. Cause we will, I was talking to a guy, I was talking to two, two church leaders yesterday and, um, they launched something in Verizon and uh, not Verizon in uh, Facebook horizons uh, experience in VR. And they were saying how they host this church experience. But one of the things is there's only so many avatars that can be in a room at once in mm-hmm. horizons. So every time they hit 20 people in a room, there's another instant created. So actually when you're watching a service right now in VR, you, you don't, you only have 20 people in it, but there might be 500 people watching it because mm-hmm. there's multiple rooms and the thought is in the next couple of years, you're going to be able to actually have a thousand people in a, in a room together. Um, and so, and that will feel compelling. Um, and I, I think that's really going to change the church on what a worship service look like. Doesn't mean at the end of it, they're not going to meet in person. I just think that's going to be very um, compelling. Like I go back to the Disneyland example. Like I think I will always want to go to Disneyland. But does that mean that, like, what if I could put on my, my goggles or whatever and I could walk around? I think that will, I think it'll just become, in person, it will become more premium. Mm. And the digital will become a larger introductory experience. So I think both are, I think both will be important. Um, but you're just going to be able to reach people and engage people. Because that, that's the thing that I think I would tell a lot of Christians at a base level. You think that there's a great church around the corner everywhere. You know, in the U.S., that's usually true, but it's hard to find that everywhere. And there's something about what your church, like your church is doing something unique and you will reach unique people because of what you're doing that Saddleback can't reach. And I think as you kind of expand your digital opportunities, those people exist everywhere in the world. And to think that you can launch something and engage people, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. It is challenging, but um, I, I think we'll figure it out. Well, that's there was so much there. I I feel like there's uh, there's so many uh, different trails I'd love to follow on there. You, you hit on, um, I mean, even the international element. You started getting into uh, decentralized uh, things, and 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 you know, we could start. We start talking about over overseas church and persecuted church and things like that. That could get really interesting. Um, but I am actually. Uh, I don't think we have time to go down that rabbit hole right now. We'll have to, have to bring you on another time. Um, but but I, I uh, but I think it's important. And what you said was really fascinating. Um, I am curious. Like, I, I want to ask you as a secondary question here. What? Where do you think? You know, what? Where are we seeing this being led? Where? What? What churches? What organizations are kind of leading the way um, right now into the next decade on on some of these? Uh, uh, these areas that we talked about, but more more immediately, I just wanted to ask you too. Like, I love that you brought up even gaming too. That's something I've been kind mm. of fascinated. I'm I'm not a gamer myself. Uh, I mean, I'm going to show my age here. I enjoyed playing with the PlayStation Two back in the day. I still have yeah, yeah. I still have a Sega Genesis. It still works. Did you know that? It's pretty, oh man! I got my kids playing Sonic the Hedgehog. They thought it was pretty cool. That's um, awesome. But uh, but. Um, but I am fascinated by the by the gaming environment, and and I've seen people really bond there. Um, you know, it's almost like small groups in some ways. You know, I'm really curious. Like, do you? Th- what do you think? Do you think that the VR virtual reality um, is going to have more of an impact in the next five to ten years? Do you think the gaming uh, uh, environment, it, and maybe they're actually linked. I don't know, but are they going to have more of an impact in the next five to ten years? For and I guess right now I'm asking about churches in particular. Um, or is there something else we haven't talked about yet that a, a technology that you you see up and coming that's going to have more of an impact on the online church environment? Yeah, I mean, I I would probably say this isn't this isn't an original thought. A lot of people are speculating this. Uh, you know, the struggle with virtual reality is that it's a fully immersive experience. It's not passive. You have to kind of shut off the world. And so, I think most people rightly so understand that virtual reality is going to be very important for focused things. Like if I'm going to go see a movie, I'm going to focus on the movie. And I think there are experiences that require a hundred percent of your focus. But if I look at like the reason why phones are so 
powerful is that they're passive experiences that I could be anywhere and I can kind of not leave this world, but also kind of portal into whatever world is on my phone. And I think that's why augmented reality is probably as that becomes more normal, you know, and, and you see, you know, for example, like to be able to have a meeting and for there to be like a hologram or something in my room and they're hanging out and I don't have to enter another room. And then like that's I think the augmented experiences are very compelling because here's the deal. Our current world is very is, is, is a very compelling space and I don't think most people want to leave it. But they want to leverage technology to enhance this world. And I think that's why the merging of those worlds, augmented and virtuality, like, for example, Horizon, Horizon's, uh, you know, Facebook's big um, social VR experience. You know, the idea I could be in VR, but I could FaceTime somebody into the VR experience around the table. I think those are, that's the, the merging of these worlds are very important. And so I get more excited about, like, augmented stuff because... It allows me to do what I need to do. I, I remember seeing this a couple of years ago. There was a um, um, there was a device that you can buy that you would you would lay this device on top of your dashboard, and what it would do is it would project up directions. So the idea was it wasn't a screen blocking your view, but it was a, a device that would project directions in a way that it would interlace, you know, kind of like Blade Runner style, and. Um, I think the, that type of technology and experiences are what most people should be excited about because it will make your day-to-day -day world better and it won't force you to put on glasses and leave this world um, because I think that's the struggle. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I think it's going to make a lot of our stuff more seamless. The same way as, you know, the joke that we already are kind of already cyborgs with our phones and our, our watches. Mm -hmm. Like we already kind of have this... Um, robot type of experience. I just think those connections will make a lot more sense and will be more seamless. You know, I'll probably in years be, uh, you know, I, I like I wore glasses forever and a couple of years, uh, about a, eight months ago, I got LASIK and I'll probably be like, oh, I'll probably just be putting on glasses anyways <laughs> to uh, to interact. Or I'll just be, you know, I was watching, um, I was watching a, an interview from somebody who was talking about s stuff and they were talking about how like, you know, a lot of this technology, like, will be kind of like a like a LASIK procedure where, like, I'll just put it in, I'll put stuff into my eye, and it will be just expensive enough to kind of like maybe I should do it, but it will make my experience better. And I, I think a lot of this stuff is coming, but I, I I know that gets people scared, you know, which I understand. But the reminder I always tell them about the future, not that I know what's going to happen, but just look back at the last fifteen years, how much technology has changed in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And just think we're going to have another type of technology change in the next 15 years. And the argument to be made is it's probably going to be a lot quicker. Mm. Um, and so um, it's and so I, I think I, this is why it's hard to grasp. Like if you would have told me 15 years ago, I would be streaming stuff on Netflix. I'd be like, that's that doesn't even make sense. Like it's we terrible get, to watch get DVDs videos. in the mail. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. DVDs in the like it's just. It's crazy to think about that. So I think we're going to have, we're going to have, so it's not about thinking about the, like, it's like putting something in your eye, for example. You're like, you don't think about it like with now, in 10 years from now, what is that going to be like? The same way as like, like when I got LASIK, my experience with LASIK was very different from what the experience for people getting LASIK 15, 20 years ago. And there were a lot of like bad stories because early adoption, people were scared of it. And, but guess what? When I did it, they had learned a lot over 20 whatever years. And so it's just, so I think augmented reality for me is what I get very excited personally about. Um, but I also get excited about VR. So besides, besides Saddleback Church, so I don't, you know, you can obviously have to say that you guys are leading the way because you are leading the way. Um, but is there someplace else to, where do you see, where do you see um, within the church world, especially, or the ministry world, uh, who's leading the way on this stuff? I mean, there are so many churches um, doing small things that I think are going to play a big part in what the future will look like for the church. Um, you know, I just to bring up one, I was talking to Sun Valley uh, Community Church um, in the Arizona area, and they're a, they're a fairly big church doing stuff in Facebook Horizons or Meta Horizons. And it's so cool to think like they're, they're a good sized church, but they literally just asked Facebook, could we could we host something 
on one of these venues and Facebook said yes. And it's so crazy to think this church, that's a good size, but they get, you know, thousands of people that watch their church in VR and it's just because of this virtual, like they're one of the early on people. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I see a lot of churches doing stuff. It's hard to nail one because there's a lot of small things, but you know, I just come off the sun Valley church because I just talked to him yesterday. And I was just so encouraged how, you know, I, I honestly think it's going to take, like people in their twenties to really push this Lux church is another one. They're doing stuff on Twitch. And, um, you know, I remember like hanging out with him and just going, you know, I'm not going to do what he's doing, but I see what he's doing and who he's reaching. And I go, I just remember I left it. I actually, I like, when I got done with it, I donated like some money towards it. Cause I was just encouraged by him, you know, cause I could see all the stuff he has to fight because, it's just hard to do some of this stuff. And I think some of this stuff is just going to look so different. So I think it's actually not about like the, there's not a bunch of major people doing stuff, but I think there are thousands of individual decisions being made that it's just, it's cool to kind of think uh, how the church is going to thrive over the next hundred years. Jay, just two more questions. Um, So we have these four spiritual habits, spend time with God, spend time with others, uh, know and use your gifts and share your faith. So reading the Bible, praying, being in small groups, serving, giving. I want to throw just kind of a theory out there to you, just kind of as we think about the future. Um, You know, it seems as though the last, we'll start with Gutenberg in the Bible. So Gutenberg was the first person to print off the Bible. You no longer had to go to church to just hear about the Bible, but it was enhanced because when you went to church on Sunday, you could read the Bible. Um, you know, there was a time that you couldn't do a small group outside of church. They were all Sunday school classes in church. And there's always been these practices that are decentralized where the church is really a community, but there's certain individual practices that you do in community, but they're decentralized, whether it's small group, like when I read my Bible, I, I'm part of a version plan with a hundred other Brown crofters and I guess what I'm just kind of curious with these spiritual habits or spiritual discipline, what do you see kind of in the future of things being decentralized of how much that changes the church and maybe even clarifies in-person ministry? I mean, I'm kind of wrestling with that, but I'm throwing that theory out there. Like, cause we've talked a lot. Like, I feel like we have a very, you know, the fact that Saddleback was the leader in small group ministry and we're a church of small groups, that's a decentralized minute. Like I can't see yeah. every week everybody that's going to small groups. So I don't know. I, I'd just be curious with the disciplines and practices, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I think it gets to the root of like the collective group experiences, you know, that have thrived online, like a Reddit that you can ask a question and anybody kind of, can answer it and engage doesn't mean it's always good. But I, I think the internet and digital, what it does well is it, it aggregates thoughts and it and allows you to get direct access. You know, it's like the idea of like, you know, maybe 15 years ago, if I wanted to buy stock in Apple, I would have to go to a broker, but now I could just Robin hood's built to allow me to just buy directly, you know, even though it might not be super direct, they're still using a third party, but you know, the interface has made it a lot more seamless. I think, churches are going to understand that, you know, you as the pastor, the leader don't have to aggregate everything that you can create these spaces online for people to interact with each other 24 seven and really walk, you know, and do life with people in a deep way. And I think it really does, you know, again, if I am a hosting church, I get done. And if I'm in a building, I sit up front and people come up and just ask me questions because they see me as the leader. Like, I'm going to ask Jay, I'm going to ask Jay, I'm going to ask Jay this. Uh, the same thing happens at conferences. Ask Jay, ask Jay, you know, if, if I've led a, con- a session, Jay. And I think online what happens is now you have a space where people can just ask each other those things. Mm-hmm. And it's really is like a Reddit type of experience. And I think those are the type of experiences that are really good. And it gets you, because here's the deal, like, you may be a fur- further along and have from some perspective, but like groups, the whole idea is that you ask people in the group kind of a small group is like a little internet sub you know thread um and i think that those are the spaces that we need more of as the church because too much of ministry is still dependent on the pastor um and so i'm i'm excited for those i think that's the key of 
kind of why the internet thrives. Um, and I think the church can thrive in that type of environments. Wow. Uh, this went way too fast. We're going to have you back on again. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. So the question we always close with, uh, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? And like what we always say, um, Aaron and I, uh, we, we answer the question first and then you just clean it, clean up whatever heresy we threw out there. So I'm good. So Aaron, you want to get, get us started? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I, first of all, Jay, thank you so much. This is, really has been fascinating. Um, and uh, I would love to talk more about so, so many issues. Like you're just, you had the ideas firing in my head while you were talking, even about like the augmented reality and whatnot. And, you know, mm. I think there's, never mind the next hundred years, in the next 10 years, there's going to be potentially a lot of fascinating things happening. Um, so, uh, you know, we didn't even get into like what happens if we go back to the moon or things like that. I mean, is it going to be augmented church service on the moon or something? I, mean, I don't know. Who knows? There's a lot of the good things to dream about. But, um, but I, I do think that, you know, obviously uh, the next hundred years for the church is going to be in, important. The last hundred years was important. Jesus cares about the church, period. And, um, and all through, uh, since, since the beginning of time and certainly since he's been here, he has wanted his people to um to spread spread the gospel and take care of one another uh, love each other love god love one another and we're going to use the means that we have whatever technologies those are and i think that mm-hmm. um you know as long as we're we're making sure we're we're doing it with with that in mind that's a that's what he he wants us to do so i think it's mm-hmm. a important question and uh it's going to be exciting yeah, Aaron, I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Jay, I'm actually going to stand up for you. Maybe you can post this somewhere, but you know, you posted this guy about or this guide about online ministry. And when I think about online ministry, I think about you know Jesus being incarnational. So <clears throat> part of that is you know the way people responded to Jesus was he's always with tax collectors and sinners. He's he seemingly found himself in the places where religious people didn't think he was where would that be today Mm. vr so i just Mm. i kind of sit back here and i look at the theology of what jesus did jesus showed up to places that people didn't expect him to show up and what a call for us as a church to show up to the places that we're uncomfortable with that maybe we don't quite know what the future holds but i just feel you know as someone that kind of lives in two different worlds, the digital and physical that, you know, I've seen my in-person life enhanced because I've been trying to practice incarnational ministry online and vice versa. So as I think about how the church change in the next hundred years, what would Jesus say? It's be incarnational, be in the places that Jesus would be. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Um, I, I think the only thing I would add to it would be just, I always go back to this parable of the talents kind of illustration that in Matthew 24 of, you know, one is given one talent, one's given, you know, five, one given 10. And I think I always go back to, it's really interesting that the one given the least amount is judged the most harshly. Mm. And I, I say that because I think you as a individual or as a church leader, don't focus on what we don't have. Like we don't have all the money. We don't have all the technology. The idea is what is in your hands and what can you do at this moment? We do live in a unique time in history that we can do all sorts of types of ministry. It doesn't mean you got to do it all, but don't, you don't go, Oh God, I couldn't do digital because I didn't have this and that. And that. the question is, what can you do? And if we just take it like one bite at a time, it's like move a mountain, one shovel at a time. I think over, if you see it, You know, um, I I just heard somebody say this, that if you wrote two pages a week, you would write a whole book over over two years. And a lot of times it's procrastinating or coming up with excuses that drive us not to do that. And so I think with digital and as a believer, I think just figure out what you can do, what's in front of you. And um, and so I think Jesus, you know, we don't have to know exactly what this is going to look like in 100 years. But I think if we just tread forward. I think it's going to, I think it will make sense as we move through the fog. At least I feel that way. I don't have a, if you nail me to a wall and say like, I got to know, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I do trust in the steps I'm making. And I think every time I make that step, 
it makes a little bit more sense. It's one of the reasons why I've never written a book. It's because I feel like I'm still figuring out what I believe on some of this stuff. So, yeah. Jay, thank you so much. Where's the best place that people can follow you and find you? Yeah, you can go to uh, jcranda.com and follow me on Instagram and all that stuff, but share a lot of my thoughts there. And yeah, so, but thanks for having me on, guys. This is great. We uh, we appreciate you being on Why God Why. Uh, the best place to get a hold of us is whygodwhypodcast.com. You can uh, subscribe there to the email. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful day.